God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome to Family Discussion. As always, my name is Mark Sertega and I am joined by the powerful Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how you doing today? Powerful. Well, powerful. Um, we may have to bring that back um, in light of the <laughs> conversation that we're having today and our next episode. But I'm gonna I'm gonna bank that and keep you hold on to that. <laughs> That's it. I mean, listen, we're uh, I, people probably have picked up on this, but I'm just kind of slowly going through the alphabet and just giving you random adjectives. And and I felt like you know what, if we're talking about uh, what it is to be a man and a woman. Uh, powerful woman is a good way to start this. So welcome, Lisa. Good to see you. How are things going on your end? You know, things are going well. Um, I'm enjoying uh, the start of spring. Um, and a cool thing, speaking of start of spring, so as um, our listeners know, I manage a nonprofit organization that celebrates cultural heritages around the globe. And we recently had an event for the first time for Nauru's, which is Persian New Year. And we did that in collaboration with another nonprofit in the city. And it was cold that day and windy. It actually snowed a little. I didn't have that on my bingo card, but um, it was a really, it was a really, really good turnout. Very pleased gearing up for our signature event um our, the big festival where we bring all different cultures together that's in seven weeks on may 21st so it's getting closer and my my time is getting a little you know uh it's getting hectic but i'm really really looking forward to it so all right that's great i mean yeah so with spring although in new york we got lied to because we got like two days of beautiful weather and then we got a massive front come through and it dropped back into the 20s and there were snow flurries and it was end of March with snow what is this about but anyway we figured it out we got through but with the spring comes holy week and so um we are uh, just you know this is coming out one week before holy week and so we're in that kind of final press getting everything ready and and being good to go so every pastor that i know is feeling the the exhaustion of this time of year but um, also the joy of getting to serve in the church during Holy Week. This is uh, probably my favorite week of the year. So really excited to be coming into that. Um, Lisa, we are not alone. We have a guest. And uh, would you like to introduce our guest to us I, today? It is, listen, it is my absolute honor to welcome this guest, um, John Penny Legion, whom if you called him that, you would be standing alone because everybody <laughs> knows him as Penny. 
Penny is a teaching elder in the PCA, but not just a teaching elder. He is a teaching elder at Christ the King Presbyterian, uh, the lead pastor at Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia, where yours truly is a member. And so I am really just delighted and ecstatic that he is joining us for this conversation. Um, he is a graduate of Covenant Theological Seminary, has his MDiv and THM. Um, and I understand you also have served as an adjunct professor there in preaching, correct? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Visiting instructor. Yeah. So he is married yep. to Kat and father to Lane, Mead, and Cole. So I am uh, just really, really, really thankful um, and appreciative, not just um, having you as a pastor. Um, I, I mean, really, is this so CTK is my second PCA church that I've been a member of. And I have just, you know, my last one was a wonderful experience, but this one is, I mean, just the culture that they, you know, that you all have fostered there. It's, it's just a, a wonderful congregation. And I consider myself very fortunate and fortunate that you are joining us for this conversation today. So welcome. Well, thanks. I appreciate y'all inviting me and and to talk with y'all. So thanks for, thanks for having me. Lisa, is it, uh, is it scary to have your pastor on with us? No, not, you know, <laughs> he is such, you know, just because of conversations that we've had. Um, and I will say, you know, as we're getting into these conversations about men and women, the one thing that I've been really truly appreciative of, especially as a seminary graduate myself, and one who, you know, likes to, you know, try to think theological, you know, to have rub, you know, my two brain cells together to, you know, think about, you know, the God of the universe, the creator God and, and who he is and what he has revealed and what he is, has done in his son. Um, I'm very appreciative of the men and, and especially pastors who welcome those conversations, who, you know, who who encourage me in, you know, in that regard, I, that don't make me feel shut down. Like I shouldn't be, you know, worrying my pretty little head about complex matters. Um, <laughs> um, and so Penny definitely is one of many um, that fit that bill. And so for that, I, I'm, I, I just, like I said, I'm just really glad that he's here for this conversation. Amen. Amen. Well, um, the conversation today is around uh, really what has become a controversial or, or contentious subject it's around the idea of what it means to be a man. Uh, next week, we're going to follow this up with a guest to help us talk through what it means to be a woman. And um, really, the framing of this is God's design for being a man and the way sin has impacted that. And it's been a topic of conversation that maybe got renewed focus quite a while ago now. I think it's been 40 years since Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood was released uh, by Grudem and Piper and some others really sparked this debate around what does it mean to, to biblically uh, approach our manhood or our womanhood. Um, and that debate has been raging for a long time. Every time it seems to ebb, Another book or another blog post or another sermon kicks it back up again. These days, all it takes is a tweet to get everybody all roiled up. And so 
Um, I, I wonder, Penny, as as you've been pastoring there in Roanoke for a few years and, and you've been involved at Covenant, um, how would you characterize the conversation around what it means to be a man, like God's design for manhood? What what has the conversation been like in your circles? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, a lot of the guys that I am, you know, rubbing shoulders with, the women that I'm having conversations with, you know, we're, um, it, I, I've been very fortunate because I feel like a lot of our conversations have not been in those kind of angry, visceral type um, dialogues, but they've been much more in the, you know, what does the Bible have to say about what needs to be a man or a woman and, and let's, let's start there. And, and particularly, um, you know, let's start with the fact that both men and women are made in the image of God. Um, you know, like Genesis tells us that, right. God created man in his own image, male and female, he made them in his own image. And so that means men and women, uh, both have dignity simply because we are a Mago day. And, um, and so because of that, that, you know, I've, I feel like my, my experience with this conversation hasn't been quite as um, uh, discouraging as I know for other people. Um, but I, but that doesn't mean I'm not aware of the discouragement or the frustration, right? I mean, you, you only have to go on Twitter for a few minutes and, and see that um, and, and to know the broader conversation. So, um, but, but, you know, like, uh, the the men and women that I'm often interacting with in a personal way and that I have relationship with, there there is that shared understanding of um, whoever we're talking with, be it a man, man or a woman, regardless of their position, regardless of their um, uh, their standing within or outside the church, they're image bearers, and so because of that, we need to treat them with respect, with dignity, uh, with honor, and. Um, and that's not just, you know, that's not just pre-fall, but that's post-fall, right? That, that though that image has been marred, it's still there. And so, uh, so we're to engage in that. So, so in that way, I, I feel like I'm actually very, uh, I've been very fortunate because I have other conversation partners who, who begin there. Um, so. I wonder, I mean. So, so I serve right now in a complementarian church, but I've always been a bit of an outsider in the complementarian conversations because I'm not. And so I wondered, I've, I've wondered, I've often wondered if the smoke and the anger and the vitriol that we see online, is that like purely an online thing? when you're working with actual people in actual pews and actual Christians, um, are you running into folks who are that worked up over these really stark manhood, womanhood conversations or are people just kind of, no, we're just trying to figure out how to be faithful. Yeah. I think that the majority of the people that I'm engaging with in a one-on-one -on, -one, on a one-on-one -on -one basis in an actual relationship, the, they're not quite as worked up as maybe what we see online. Um, but that might simply be because of the, you know, the culture that I'm in at CTK, the culture I was in, in St. Louis at, at Covenant Church there. 
Um, so it, uh, I, I don't want to say it's just an online persona because those, you know, I found that people who are angry and upset uh, online um, are going to be that way in person at some point as mm -hmm. well, right? Like this kind of um, bifurcating of our kind of personalities or identities, like I have an online persona and in person, like that, that's, you know, I think, uh, I think it's James who said something about that two-facedness, right? Like that's just not reality. <laughs> like if, if you're kind of mean spirited online, then you're going to be mean spirited in person at some mm -hmm. point as well mm -hmm. and vice versa. So, so I just think that, um, some of it is just benefiting from being in a, uh, in a church context and culture that um, that has made an effort to really affirm the dignity of both men and women. And, and that doesn't mean we've done it perfect, right? Like I haven't done it perfectly. I've, I've failed at those sorts of things and it's easy to fall out on extremes, but um, yeah, I, I think I'm an inheritor of something that's actually really been yeah. good, so. Well, and, and I mean, that's encouraging because I think a lot of people have have taken the angriest voices and made the caricatures and said, well, that then is what that view is. You know, they've, mm -hmm. they've painted with broad brushes. And sometimes I'll be honest, it's hard not to because of the the volume of some of these voices. But, you know, I, I wonder if we can just start, you know, going back to the scriptures and, and unpack a little bit your understanding of, of God's design for men. Um, oh, but Lisa's jumping in. Sorry. This yes. Zoom thing gets us sometimes <laughs> not able to talk <laughs> over each other. Lisa, you had a question. Yeah, too. before you go there, um, I, I think what's here is my perception of what's happening and particularly with what we see online, because I think we do have to be sensitive to our cultural moment. And, you know, where we are, there is a lot of gender confusion. There is, um, you know, these the sort of distinct roles of men and women have gotten really, in, in our broader culture, I'm not talking about the church, but just in our broader culture, have, you know, have become very um, conflated. Um, there has, you know, it, especially with, you know, with, and I will say ultra feminism, um, you know, this idea that, you know, that women rule. I mean, I really saw this and, you know, recent commercials, particularly, I think, I know there was at least one commercial during the Super Bowl and it was all about when, you know, women's empowerment, right? I mean, to the extent that, you know, the fellows are kind of feeling a little, you know, emasculated, Um and, and I mean, this is, this is the feedback that I hear from my brothers. And so we have, and, you know, and then we have this idea that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. And, you know, so against this backdrop, you have the church trying to maintain God's good design. And some have gone, as you have pointed, rightly pointed out, Marco, some have, you know, taken that to the extreme. But what I see a lot of is people really trying to hold on to that design in the midst of all of this confusion. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's a, from what I've seen, a really helpful thing to draw out 
the confusion that's there and, and it actually leads nicely to the question I was going to ask you, Penny, um, the, the confusion around gender in our culture and in our churches, um, how is that manifesting itself in the circles that you're in and the, as a pastor and helping men walk through, um, you know, we, we, we have the 1950s cultural paradigm that a lot of people are saying that's what manhood looks like. We've got the cultural paradigms that doesn't, they don't really seem to have a category for what it is to be a man because it is a lot in, in a uh, more feminist direction, um, which, you know, as what, what they used to call our uh, evangelical feminists, I think it was our original language. Like I'm great with the feminist direction, but what it does is it, it keeps men from having really strong understandings of who they are. So I wonder, um, you, you get past the 1950s. You don't reckon the other ditch. You start with the image of God. But then when guys are confused about what it means to be a man, where do you take them next? Yeah. Well, so I think a couple things is that, um, you know, there's a phrase that uh, a seminary professor of mine who um, I dearly care about greatly and influenced me a lot in how I view the scripture. He used to say repeatedly within classes there's a Latin phrase, abusimus non tollet, which means the abuse does not negate the proper use. And I think that that's what we're, we see so often is that we see one abuse. So we see like, the, like a radical feminism. And so how do we respond to it? Well, we go to the other side, right? And so, um, so uh, we end up devaluing uh, women, you know, men devalue women in a response to radical feminism, you know, or we see this, um, the 1950s version of what it means to be a man. And we go to the other abuse side of kind of passivity and, um, and not, um, not stepping forward, forward and, and taking on ownership and leadership at when called to. Um, and so we see these abuses and, but, but simply because we have abuse, it doesn't negate the proper use. And so that's what we want to constantly be pushing towards. And when, when I think about that, like, the place that we have to go beyond a map Amondo day is, is Jesus. Like if I want to see what true manhood looks like, I should look at Jesus because he's after all the one in whose image we are being reformed into, right? Like um, we're told in Colossians one, that he is the image of the invisible God. We're told in Ephesians four, that we are being renewed um, and created after the new self create in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so, so if we want to know what it looks like to be a man, we look at Jesus as he is presented in the Bible, not as he is presented in our culture. Right. So even there, we have to be careful because we have these like, you know, weird presentations of Jesus of like, you know, sitting in the meadow of clover with the sun descending behind his back and, or like the, uh, the like <laughs> radical, like angry Jesus, you know, but it's like, well, well, what, how does the Bible present Jesus? And, and that is the image of what it should look like to be male, um, to be masculine, if, if that's the image we're being made into. And, and so when I see that, I see actually, um, I see things that, that we have gotten right. And I see things that we can grow in. And, um, uh, you know, I, I feel like there's kind of a renewed conversation. Maybe it's a renewed, I'm, 
or maybe it's new, I'm not sure, but about like the gentleness and compassion of the Lord. Um, and that's that seems to be taking root within our churches, at least more so than when I first became a Christian. Um, so when I first became a Christian in college, the picture of manhood was the, you know, kind of wild at heart, you know, like I've got my broadsword, you know, it was Maximus and, and, you know, like, you know, you can't help him, but watch gladiator and think like, I want to go get a broadsword and go to war. Right. Like, (laughs) but, but there's more to it. Right. There's also the, the, the compassion, the gentle, the kind, and, and I do think it's really interesting that um, there are five times when the word for compassion is used in the gospel of Matthew, and four of them are in reference to Jesus. And those four times are all speaking about him showing care um, for those in need, for those who um, uh, don't maybe have a voice, for those who have been marginalized, for those who have been put to the edges of society. Um, the only other time that word is used is to speak of the, um, the owner with the unforgiving servant, you know, mm. so in that parable, mm. and he had pity on the servant. So it's the same word compassion there. And um, so I, I think it's really interesting that when Jesus is described as ha- being compassionate, it's to those who need care, need protecting, need love. Um, and so, so our understanding of what it means to be a man has to include that. It has to include compassion. It has to include care. It has to include pity and not just the, um, protection, um, providing like that's an aspect of it, but that's not all of it. Right. And, and you know, what strikes me is that when I look at scripture, because scripture is supposed to be the norm, and there's always this question of how much are we defining these terms based on culture, right? Because we could talk about the broader culture and where we are, as I, I did a few minutes ago, but then we're, we could also define it by our subcultures, you know, and our subculture that has turned, you know, that has turned man, you know, the definition of what it means to be a man, according to a more of a cultural standard than a biblical standard. And so there's this, this line of, you know, well, how, you know, are you defining this culturally? Or are you defining it scripturally? And the one thing that I was really struck by here very recently is that when you look at the commands of scripture, they are to every, everyone. There are some that are designated, you know, specific, to specific groups, but to everyone, it's being tenderhearted, forgiving, compassionate, putting on humility, kindness, meekness. There, there's no gender distinction that I see in scripture. Um, and, I, and I think that's where, and I wonder maybe Penny, if you can speak to this, if men really struggle with the, you know, sort of dividing out the cultural, I'm supposed to be this way, this is what it means to be a man versus 
you know, versus what it says in scripture, because I can really see somebody looking at that and saying, well, wait a minute, if I'm, you know, meek and kind and tenderhearted, well, that makes me a wimp, you know, so I wonder if you, you know, if you come across those kind of struggles with men. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, I struggle with that, you know, um, for sure, because I think that we, and, and I don't think it's, just, this is just a problem with men. I think it's a problem with men and women, right? It's so easy for us to adopt the culture's perceptions or promotions of what it means to be a man or a woman. And, and when that is in the air that we breathe, um, it's easy to just think that that's normative and not actually ask the question, is this biblical? And so I, I think for sure, like, you know, to your point, Lisa, um, you know, the fruit of the spirit, uh, there aren't fruit for men and fruit for women, like it's for all of us. And, you know, gentleness is right there. And when we think of gentleness, I think what we often think of are like, you know, kitty cats and pillows and little kids. But at some point, the little boy is going to grow out of being gentle because that's not manly. But, um, but in reality, that, that's not how the Bible presents it. Um, that gentleness is actually a, a sign of maturity. Um, it's not a sign of immaturity that we eventually grow out of, but that, that to follow Jesus as a man means I should be gentle that they're, they're, that should be a part of um, my character. Um, but I think that, now I would actually say that right now in our culture, broadly, that's probably something that's embraced culturally speaking, um, kind of that more gentle, compassionate kind of man. Um, and it's, um, but, but to, it's probably gone to an extreme where, um, like you even said earlier, uh, men can feel emasculated. Um, you know, that's all that they're to be is gentle and compassionate. And, um, and so therein we get that natural response of like, you know, to be a man means I have to, you know, wear a plaid shirt and go chop down the tree. Um, I'm wearing a plaid shirt, so we're I'm both wearing, wearing plaid yeah, shirts. Yeah, so that yeah, was, that's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but you know, like that somehow shows my strength and my power. But but you know, um, um, but it's it's really interesting to me. Like it seems to me that when we come across passages in Scripture that talk about um, what it means to care for others, what it means to lead others, what it means to protect and serve them. It is that it's serving. Um, it's not using my power for my sake. It's using power for the sake of others. Um, and, and I think that that's something that actually is very, um, is very attractive, hmm. right? Like that's very attractive, like to, to serve others by laying down your life. Like it, Everyone, you're a Christian or not a Christian, goes, that is virtuous to, to sacrifice yourself. And that, that is exactly what um, Paul calls like husbands to do for wives, because that's what Jesus did for the church. And so, so I think that in some ways there, there is a pushback, culturally speaking. But again, that doesn't mean we need to go 
to the other extreme where we completely abandon um, gentleness, compassion, et cetera. I don't know. I felt like I started to ramble there. Um, no, no, that's, that's helpful. And, you know, I, I think as we are trying to build a strong understanding of um, manhood and womanhood, we are in dialogue with our culture in some way. Like we can't ignore the cultural influences. Um, we, we can misappropriate them, but if we pretend like we can define these terms completely outside of a culture, then we're, we're missing the practical outworking of manhood and womanhood. They, they live in a culture. They are, they're understood culturally as well as biblically, but there are some, um, cultural things that can influence a Christian view of manhood and womanhood that are really sinful. And so I wonder, like when we talk about men and sin, invariably, like it doesn't matter where I've been, you talk about men and sin, it always comes back to like pornography, sexual sin, those kinds of things. But I don't feel like that's the only thing that men struggle with. <laughs> and so, um, John, I wonder if you can speak a little bit to um, some of the the ways that sin has impacted what it means to be a man. I mean, yes, there's a sexual component to it, of course, but there's a sexual component to the way sin has impacted women as well. That's not unique to men. Um, so what are some of the things that you're seeing, even in today's culture? Here are some impacts of sin on on what it means to be a man that men need to be looking out for. Yeah. Um, well, I think you're right. We, you know, sexual sin is kind of the low hanging fruit on that conversation. Right. Um, so, so I think that that's definitely there, but, but you're also right. Like, well, the fall has affected more than just our sexuality um, or the, the abuse of our sexuality in terms of like pornography and whatnot. So, um, or the distortion of it. So I, I definitely think kind of this, like, um, passivity, you know, I, I think it's very easy. Um, I just think it's very easy for men to abdicate, um, responsibility, um, and to kind of step out of it. Like, um, you know, like opportunities to serve opportunities to give of yourself opportunities to engage. Well, you know, it's just easy. Like I feel it in my own heart, like you know, um, my wife and I, we have three children and my kids come to me and they want to have a, you know, they ask to do something X, Y, or Z. And it is very easy for me just to go, well, you know, what does your mom think? And, you know, if she's okay with that, I'm okay. You know, and it's kind of like sometimes, so there, there's something good about that because when I'm doing it in a, in a righteous way, um, I'm trying to be on the same team with my wife, right? We're making a decision together. But if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I'm, I'm doing that because I just don't want to be the one to make the decision, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> she can be on the hook for this one. Um, and, and that's a problem. Uh, that is a problem. Uh, that is me abdicating responsibility towards my child in that moment, or it could be. And, and I think that that, like, I see that, um, you know, I see that not just in married relationships, I see it in, um, in the ways in which um, 
we kind of, it's easy for men to kind of defer to, to women um, in terms of participating in the life of the church, um, in terms of um, decision-making within the home, in terms of even pursuit of um, pursuing a relationship, you know, like non-married married people pursuing a relationship. Like I, I saw that a lot when I was doing campus ministry, like, you know, it, it was this weird, uh, it was this weird dynamic I observed because these, these women who were college students, they really wanted these men to pursue them relationally. Right. And the men would kind of be passive and waiting for the woman and then these sorts of things. And then, um, and so the, the women ended up resenting the men for not pursuing them. And then once the men started to pursue them, there was this like strange, like, um, kind of like, well, who are you to do that? You know, kind of, <laughs> it was this yeah. weird, like, be careful what you ask for, you know, because you're going to get it. And I, I don't know, it was really bizarre, but, but I saw this passivity and this abdication occurring. Um, so I think that that's one, um, what else? Uh, for sure, the sexual dynamic. Um, I think also like um, men are good. I, I think that where the fall has affected us is um, we are good at isolating. Um, and so, you know, like I just think about, um, we love these pictures of the uh, kind of the lone, the lone ranger, the you know, Maximus, you know, yeah. Braveheart, who, whoever Bond, whoever we might put as the paragon of masculinity. Um, and oftentimes what we're emphasizing in them is the like strong man who's by himself. But, but biblically speaking, we're not made to be alone. And that's not just talking about marriage. That's also talking about friendship. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when I look at like David and Jonathan, like we have these warriors, right? They were warriors. They went to battle and yet like they embraced one another. They, uh, they loved one another. They wept with one another. It's this beautiful picture of, of friendship, of um, being with one another in the midst of life. Um, even some of the, some of the language that we see, like, uh, we're preaching, I've been preaching through first, second, and third John and third John, John refers to Gaius four times as beloved. Like men don't use that sort of language today. <laughs> no. Right. Not for other no. men. No. For our wives, maybe. Right. Yeah. That so, would generate a whole new series of tweets. I would think. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We won't go there. <laughs> but I think that that, that reflect, reflects a poverty in our understanding of what mm-hmm. male friendship looks like. So um, so I think that's, you know, we isolate, we find our identity in all sorts of things like vocation, uh, you know, um, physical well-being, you know, um, providing for our family. Like these are good things. They're good things. But but they're distortions of the good. So, well, I mean, the, the distortions, it's, it's interesting because it is about, I think, a heart orientation or a, um, a proper use of these things. So I, I think just biblical examples, right? You bring up David and Jonathan. 
strength when strength is called for makes all the sense in the world but you can almost hold samson up as a foil to that because samson's whole story is someone who's really in love with his strength right and he's looking for ways to use his strength and he does it almost constantly in ungodly ways even when he is slaying animals with his bare hands he's then touching their carcasses and making himself unclean like he he worships his masculinity and but then his redemption is in the proper use of his strength which was sacrificial in his willingness to bring everything down but then die with it right so it's i think that you're right the reaction to the hyper masculinity can sometimes be a retreating away from strength but the proper direction is to retreat to a proper use of strength not an abdication of strength right so it's i wonder I've been thinking of Samson a little bit lately as maybe uh, a potential answer to the hypermasculinity that we're seeing around here is, yeah, he was in love with his masculinity. He practiced a hypermasculinity. It got him in nothing but trouble. It was idol worship. But then he did use strength at the end, and that was part of his obedience. So it's it's all about that heart orientation of how you're using that strength, right? Yes. Yeah. I think that's a great example. Mm-hmm. Lisa, um, as we talk through, I want to I want to get this from a woman. All right. Because I think it is helpful as we're talking about masculinity and what it means to be a man. When you're sitting here as a woman hearing this, what are you looking for as a woman in your brothers in the church? Like how what are you looking for? Um, to, to be able to co-labor alongside us as co-heirs with Christ, right? So what are you looking for in your brothers? Well, I mean, obviously I'm looking to scripture. So looking through the lens of scripture first, uh, or at least I try to, um, you know, and have that be the, the defining lens of, um, you know, of, of what I appreciate um, about men. And I think Penny kind of bought it out that there's, you know, there, there's this juxtaposition, right? There's this, this um, combination of, you know, you have on one hand, the, the ownership, the responsibility, this idea that of, you know, being protector, right? And why we see that in First Peter 3, where he says the husbands are to be, you know, treat the, the wives as, as those who are the weaker vessels. And I know that, in our, you know, in radical feminist, you know, culture that sounds like, but that's, that's what scripture says, right? Um, and so you look at even the commands to husband, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And even in that, there is this, you know, you know, this kind of, this, this picture of, on one hand, that is, that, that's taking responsibility but it's doing so by laying down your life, right? Which is exactly what Jesus did, as, as Penny noted. That's what Jesus did for the church. So when I look to that, it's like, well, where, where is your heart for Jesus? Because that is going to come through in showing um, that, you know, that, that juxtaposition of the, you know, taking responsibility, taking ownership, but also being tenderhearted towards women, being kind towards women, um, tr- un, you know, treating women as they are equal 
heirs to the kingdom. Um, and so that's what, you know, that's what I look for. And, and I know that in our, and not so much in a broader culture, but I know in some of the church culture, women are, you know, have been taught to look for a man who can lead. Well, what, is, what does that mean exactly? What does that look like? right? Is it the, the leader, the, the one who shows the bravado, and I'm the man, I'm in charge? Or is it that, you know, is it that sacrificial component? Not passive, but like you said, showing strength where strength is required. Because there's also strength in, in the sacrifice, you know, when one is laying down their lives for the other, the service, you know, a beautiful picture that uh, every Sunday, so we do, we have the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Um, and a beautiful, the beautiful picture to me at the end, after everyone has been served, the elders serve one another. And that to me, like after they served everyone else, then they serve one another. There is just something about that picture, you know, that is just beautiful to me. And to me, that's when I look at, well, what do I expect, you know, for men or what do I appreciate? It's that, it is the heart, it is the heart of service. Yeah, Lisa, that, um, so your comment about, you know, what does it look like to lead is, it brought back to my mind <clears throat> when my wife and I were engaged, um, we were doing campus ministry, you know, I had been, I was teaching younger men to read the Bible, to share their faith, to pray, right? Like I was leading them and I remember, going to our pastor who was going to marry us and saying, Randy, um, I know how to lead college men, but I don't know how to lead my wife. And he goes, <laughs> he laughed and uh, I'm sure he thought, oh, you young little boy. But, um, but uh, he didn't say that because he was very kind. Uh, <laughs> but he said, uh, Penny, what you are called to do is to love your wife. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5. So you want to know what it means to lead? It means to love. And to love means to lay down your life. And I've never forgotten that. You know, I can tell you exactly where we were and that who said, it. you know, like, and that is, so when we start to change our perception of even what it looks like to lead um, and, and to have it reoriented around what scripture tells us that looks like, well, then we don't have to worry about hypermasculinity or toxic masculinity or passive passive masculinity, right? Then, then we're starting to move, uh, swim in the waters of biblical masculinity. Um, so, anyway, you're you're it just remind me of that, and so. Well, I mean, it's it's those waters of biblical masculinity that maybe as as we come to a close with our conversation here, Penny, there's been so much so much heat and fire and angst around this topic. Um, so I wonder as a pastor, when you kind of look at the conversation around what it means for men to faithfully follow after Jesus, to serve the church, to, um, to serve well alongside the women in the church and, and to, to be strong men in their homes, what is your hope for the conversation going forward? Like, where would you like to see the conversation go? How can we do this better and not just be in the Twitterverse yelling at each other about you're not manly enough or that's too toxic? Like, how do we, 
how do we move forward well in in your view yeah um maybe get off twitter first but no uh, uh i'm on twitter uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um Neither of us, though. Neither of us are on yeah. Twitter the way Lisa's on Twitter. All right. She's yeah, the, the three true. of us. She's clearly the most active. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I try I'm, to hold it back, but you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm more <laughs> of a lurker than a, than a tweeter. So, um, yeah, I think that, I mean, I think we just have to keep coming back to like, um, do I look more like Jesus? And whatever this expression is, do I look more like Jesus? So, re- regardless of what the culture might say, whether that is good or bad, um, do I look more like Jesus? And if I do look more like Jesus, then I don't need to worry about whether the culture thinks that I'm being um, hyper-masculine or passive or whatever. Um, But if I'm looking less like Jesus, um, if I'm looking uh, more like these uh, caricatures of masculinity, then, then that's the problem. And so, mm. so if I, if I can be asking that question, um, and from time to time, I'll actually ask that of my people, like, do, do I look more like Jesus? Do we look more like Christ in our interactions with one another? Do we look more like Jesus in how we are engaging on social media and how we're engaging with our family and how we're loving one another? And if the answer is no, then, then we need to repent. And, and I don't, I, I'm not sure that's actually the question that we're often asking when we're talking about what it means to be a man or a woman. We're more often asking, you know, the, we're looking at it through a cultural lens. And, and I think that the church has adopted it in some ways, uh, we are responding to the cultural perception. And, and I think that sometimes in our response, we, we have adopted just, you know, an antiquated cultural adaptation of it and not necessarily a biblical one. Um, wow. So if, if my masculinity makes me, I wrote this down. If my masculinity makes me look less like Jesus, then I need to repent. Well, John, if you don't tweet that, I will, because that is uh, <laughs> wow. That is a good one, Lisa. Any last words for um, us before we uh, head on out of here today? No, I mean I'm just I'm thankful for you, brothers. Um, thank you, thankful for your heart for Jesus. Um, I think it's really show it's really showed in this conversation um, to be you know in this, and I think this this will be a word for everyone, and I I hope that it hasn't what you all have said today has inspired men to think more biblically and less culturally more Jesus and less, you know, whatever's going on, um, you know, in, in our culture, you know, let, let him be the definition, let scripture be the definition of how, of the type of people that we are supposed to be. Amen. Amen. Well, Lisa, well said. Thank you so much. Penny, thanks for joining us, brother. It was great to have you with us today on this episode. And uh, to all of you who are listening, I hope you enjoyed this as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So you can tweet at us and uh, let us know what you think. Or you can, you know, do the whole 
rate, follow, subscribe thing on iTunes. I, we don't say that enough. So you can do that and listen to more of this. It's great to be with you. We'll be back again next week for another episode of Family Discussion. Until then, God bless and bye-bye. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion.